Today, we have lessons from the fastest growing SaaS company. You guessed it, Slack. Plus, company equity, is it overrated? Our team has some opinions on the real value of offering shares. All this and more is on tap for today. From ProfitWell's Boston HQ, it is Tuesday, October 8th. I'm Abby Sullivan. And I'm Grace Gagnon. It's a beautiful day to subscribe. Hey, Abby, what's up in the sub world? SAS Stock Dublin kicks off next week, and we are pumped to sponsor a booth fixed with a space to get off your feet, plus free caffeine. Look out for us in Ireland. We want to hear your thoughts on it all, from content design to data sets. Orion and Whiskalize launch an integration update to ease the stress in one of the toughest parts of the client experience, onboarding. For extended info on these headlines, peep your subscriber newsletter. But if you're not on the list, head over to recurnow.com for free subscription intel on the daily. Looking to learn more about SaaS growth? Miss Grace, tell them where to start. User Lane, the navigation system for software, releases a list on its blog of the 10 must-see videos on SaaS growth. And our very own Patrick Campbell makes the list with his SaaS doc talk on the lessons learned from 3,000 SaaS companies. The list is pretty sweet if you're looking for a knowledge drop on the daily. Apart from subscribing to Recur Now, of course. I've watched one each morning since it's released, and it's a solid kickoff to the day. They've got topics from designing killer sales calls to strategies on scaling from 1 mil to 500 mil ARR, with names we know like Chief Instigator Dan Martell, Tech Exec and Angel Investor David Kellogg, former CRO at Castlight Health and former COO at OpenDNS Michelle Law, and Intercom CEO. Karen Peacock. I usually spend my early morning scanning Twitter for stuff like this as well, but Userlane's done the work for me, at least for the next week, that is. Hit me up at abby at recurnow.com if you have resources like this you're sitting on. As always, I am all ears. Slack is the fastest growing SaaS company, and as promised, Abby shares some lessons on its massive growth over the past five years. Slack. Adore it. Despise it. Use it. Avoid it. Regardless, Slack has an omnipresence in the industry we're in. It's the messaging platform we admittedly cannot function without, often replacing email communication in its entirety, thus is the case with us here at ProfitWell, offering a workday reprieve, connecting coworkers with channels of memes or yoga plans, or connecting external communication to help make internal moves. Whether you adore it or begrudgingly use it on the daily, Slack, as a business, has undeniably caught our eye since day one. From the ProfitWell content side, we've already torn down its pricing page in our Slack episode of Pricing Page Teardown, and talked with Heaton Shaw about Slack's booming business in our show, Tradeoffs. Most recently, Jackson Knoll, co-founder and CEO at AppGuse, takes a look at Slack from an angle of onboarding and how it's evolved since its 2014 emergence as darling in the SaaS world. So where does Slack's onboarding evolution even begin? Well, Jackson points to Slack's user onboarding as clearly demonstrating the collaboration tool's value prop and swiftly getting users to take meaningful action, both of which are critical for creating aha moments as users discover the variety of things they can accomplish with the tool. Yet, despite this success, the product peeps over at Slack never slacked off. They've continued to iterate on their best practices to keep onboarding hot. Here's how Jackson lays out the evolution in a list of what they've done right. 
Number one, visually communicating the why. Because as humans, we're conditioned to avoid high effort tasks. So when asking users to volunteer information, i.e. make an effort, it's important not only to convey what information you're asking for, but also why you're asking for it. Two, deferred password creation. In an aim at removing unnecessary friction that stands between a new user signing up and that aha moment. Three, simplified copywriting. Because here, less is often more. But sometimes a few extra words can go a long way toward helping your users achieve tangible results quickly. Number four, fast-tracking user action. Because the most engaging products keep new users laser-focused on the path to success, accomplishable by highlighting the most important actions a user should take on each page. And five, consolidating mission-critical information. To create the most effective way of getting users to interact with a product and take the actions they need to become activated users. To dive even deeper into what these could mean for your biz, check out Jackson's post as he outlines in serious depth the difference from Slack's 2014 to 2016 to current jump in user experience. As a bonus, we found this cool read by Medium, a memo that was sent to the team at TinySpec, the makers of Slack, back in July 2013. It had been a little under seven months since development began. It was just two weeks before the launch of Slack's preview release. I feel like we've uncovered a time capsule with this memo. Really cool find, Abby. Now, the memo begins with talking about building something people want. And Slack made a pretty bold statement saying any team who adopts Slack as their central application for communication would be significantly better off than they were before. That means we have something people want. And that is... Slack made it clear. They weren't selling a group chat system, but rather an organizational transformation. Over the past few years, it did exactly that, changing inter-office communication vastly. Well, I'm sure it wasn't without a few blips in the road, but it's definitely motivating to witness its track to become a giant in the space. Sure is, Grace. Oh, and we also spotted a fresh product on Product Hunt called Shoulder Tap to put some manners on your Slack notifications, all in the name of ending Slack fatigue. And that's a wrap on your subscription news for October 8th. If you have news you want to share with our subscriber base, send Abby a note at abby at recurnow.com and she'll hook you up with a feature on our show. And now here's a sneak peek of our ProfitWell report with ProfitWell's product manager, Neil Desai. You've got the questions. How does churn differ across different subscription markets? And we have the data. We looked at churn data from just over 8,000 different subscription companies across five different industries. Sign up at ProfitWellReport.com. We're joined by some of the ProfitWell crew in this segment of Overrated, Underrated. Today, we've got Andrew Gear, Ian Black, Neil Desai, and Gina Aginson, along with myself, to weigh in. All right, let's see. Let's switch it up here. I think we'll do one more. How do you guys feel about company equity for employees, offering company equity for employees? It really depends on dilution, but I think quite often overrated. How so? How so? I... It turns into monopoly money when you are, because you don't actually know the, you don't have to know the dilution during the interview process. You agree to a number. And again, you don't actually know the valuation of that company. It's somewhat of a pipe dream as to whether, unless you're coming in at a really before an exit event and you get lucky in terms of timing, it's very hard to know whether it's you're actually making a bet uh, that'll pay off. Yeah, just statistically speaking, based on the number of startups out there and the ones that have exits that we would consider successful, uh, highly overrated, right? Um, There are exceptions, there are situations, uh, edge cases, but for the most part, I think we as an industry uh, are often undereducated 
on the details and specifics around how equity really works mm -hmm. and for the most part uh, put a disproportionate amount of value on the potential of equity compared to its true value. Yeah, I think it's pretty underrated, actually. Um, I think when you're looking at something, especially if you don't know the intrinsic value of the equity, you're still looking at, is this a place I want to be? Is people I want to be with? Is it the role I want? Uh, is it a salary I'm good with? And so it's just something extra on top of that that could be something. Um, especially for something uh, for a company really early on. But it also sets uh, alignment between all of the employees and the company for the long term, which I think is great. So you don't think of it as part of your compensation package? You just think of it as like icing on the cake? Um, I personally think about it as part of my compensation package. So not everyone does. No. Um, and maybe that's the disillusion of, I think it's going to be worth, uh, you know, billions of dollars later on. Or it's just, you know, maybe it's something decent now that, you know, the company doesn't have cash for, yet they can still give me something else. Um, but I think there's also a divide we need to make between early stage where it's not liquid yet. And really, you don't know. Even if you're, you know, series ABC, it's just roughly on what the last person paid for it. Uh, versus you're working somewhere that's been publicly traded for you know, 60 years, you know exactly what it's worth. Yeah. And that's a, a very different beast. It's also a very different beast if we're speaking from the perspective of the company that is giving equity or as employees, right? We've all talked about it as the employees receiving equity, but I actually think it's vastly underrated as a recruitment culture alignment tool. It can help you Right. especially early stage, it can help you get those top tier candidates when you don't have the money to really pay them. And it also, to Andy's point, creates alignment with your employees where all of a sudden you can talk about the fact that like, you're all stakeholders in the long term of this business and we can all get aligned around these mis mission and vision. That's like a motivation tactic. Mm -hmm. Wait, did you, is it overrated or underrated? I, well, I'm saying <laughs> that from, from employee perspective, overrated, yeah. employer, underrated. That's why I drew the distinction, Ian. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, my opinion is it, it should not be the sole reason that you work for a company because it should be mm -hmm. considered one piece of the pie. I mean, if it's a company that's, you know, a small company in a saturated space doesn't have much of a future, you shouldn't work for them just because you get a slice of equity. If you're getting paid below rate, the insurance sucks. <laughs> that's like not a good reason to work for a company alone. It should be one of a lot of different factors that you consider. So in, so, that, in that sense, I thought it was a little bit more overrated from an employee standpoint, like you said. But it really depends on what angle you take. So on an edge case angle, what do you think about the CEO that takes a $1 salary and everything is on the upside of equity or options? Have they sold a company before or are they sacrificing their quality of life? I feel who like, knows? I feel it could be many reasons. I mean, I feel like, employee, I feel like CEOs who are on the level of taking a $1 salary probably have a lot of money in the bank already or a lot of <laughs> equity lined up. So they're not too worried. So it's very easy for them to do that. Weird edge case, but it's, you know. <laughs> I know this might be unpopular opinion, but I kind of think of it as icing on the cake. I'm like, I, t I took my base salary that I felt like I could be live off. And then you know what? If if it becomes like, we don't know how much it's going to be worth. So you are taking a risk regardless. Mm -hmm. So I kind of think of it as anything that does come in is a plus. Yeah. I think it also depends if you're just out of school. Maybe you have debt and you're just like not making that much to begin with. And you just kind of don't care about equity. You need to risk. pay the bills today. You know, a couple years into your career, maybe you start making a little bit more and you're like, all right, yeah, I can take that risk. And so I think there's a lot of factors that play into it. Yeah, definitely agree, agree that you should not be sacrificing quality of life. For, for sure. Right. Yeah. And there you have it, your October 8 episode of Recur Now. It's a wrap. 
Tomorrow, we do it all again. If you're not on the list, sign up at recurnow.com to get your daily subscription digest. The more you know.